You're listening to a podcast from the Swedish House of Finance, Sweden's National Research Center for Financial Economics. This podcast is for everyone with a curiosity for finance and an interest in academic research. To learn more about the Swedish House of Finance, visit houseoffinance.se. Hello, everyone. I am Paolo Sodini. And I'm Anastasia Girchene, and we are recording from the Swedish House of Finance at the Stockholm School of Economics. So what we are going to do today is we're going to talk about savings. And in fact, we're going to start by making the point that you cannot talk about savings without talking about borrowing. And these are the two sides of the same coin. And by the end of the podcast, just to give you an outline, uh, we're going to be able to answer such questions as why do you save and borrow? How much you should be saving and borrowing? Importantly, when you should be saving and borrowing? And finally, how we should be thinking about returns when it comes to savings? And how should interest rates affect how much we save and borrow? So, Paul, let me start by asking you a question. Why saving and borrowing are two sides of the same coin? Well, let me try to answer by starting with an example, and actually an example that is quite close to me. So about uh, uh, June two years ago, my daughter graduated from high school, and then she had uh, planned uh, to go to Canada as an au pair uh, from September on. Uh, She put away some money. Uh, working as a lot of people here in Sweden do uh, during the summers uh, in high school. And she wanted to decide whether she should save those money for Canada or she should use them during the summer and kind of travel more with her friends and things like that. So she came to me and said, uh, Dad, how should I think about saving? And my answer was like, uh, well, what are you saving for? What are you going to do with your money if you save? You're going to use them in Canada. You're going to use them afterwards. So really, when we think about saving, uh, we should think about the goal of saving. And in other words, how we're going to use those money to consume. And similarly, I actually kind of tried to push her a little bit. And I asked her, do you have enough money for this summer? to go around with your friends and travel and so forth. The important thing is that she stopped thinking about saving per se, and she started to think about consumption. And then when it comes to consumption, it became a much broader discussion. So what you are saying is that it's actually not the coin with two sides. It's kind of a triangle when on the top we have consumption and saving and borrowing is just tools in order to to reach a certain level of consumption you want. Exactly. And in which sense they help us achieve consumption? Uh, It's in the sense that by saving, we move current income to future consumption. So in other words, we transfer what we could consume today to consumption in the future. And by borrowing, we simply take future resources, typically income, and we bring it to today in order to increase the level of consumption we can achieve today. So saving and borrowing are actually the tools that financial markets offer us to transfer resources over time in order to consume when we really need to or we want to. So in the case of your daughter, the decision was based on how much 
income I expect to have in the future. And based on that, what do I want to do with my savings today? Whether I want to, you know, add to that future income with my current savings by not consuming today, or whether I want to anticipate some of that income by actually borrowing today. It seems to me that it can be a very personal decision in, in which sense? In the sense of how much you value of, of spending this money today and how much you actually expect that you might need this money tomorrow. Yeah, so let me elaborate on that. So there are two different levels over which we need to think about how to save and borrow. On the one side is simply attitudes and preferences. People might be more or less impatient, and then based on that, they should decide whether to save if they're patient or borrow if they are impatient. Okay. So by patience, you mean how much I actually willing to forego of the consumption today uh, in order to be able to consume tomorrow. Exactly. And then the other part, the second level, is instead really about resources. Uh, is about how much income I have today compared to the income I will receive tomorrow. Standard example, uh, you receive income during your working life, you don't during retirement. So obviously you would like to keep a, a level of consumption that is relatively even throughout. So that's why you save or someone else is going to save, such as the pension system of the country, for your retirement uh, once you stop working. I think there is also another layer to it. And another layer is, you know, which standard of living you want to have and which plans you have. So an example of your daughter, she wanted to travel. So a little bit, she knew how to spend that money. And that's why, you know, she wanted to, in the end, borrow from you guys. But it could be also the case that, for example, I expect and plan and would like to have a family and possibly kids some years down the road. And if you think about kids as consumption, you know, we, we have, you know, provide for, for, for them, um, I might want to save for that. So I might not want to, to borrow today because I know that tomorrow I will face high expenditures. So also it is very personal decision in that sense. Yeah, we don't want to have necessarily a constant level of consumption throughout life. Uh, we might value consumption differently depending on family circumstances uh, or preferences simply uh, at different time in life and hence uh, kind of decide to borrow and save to take that into account. And that's why actually if you look at the data, you tend to see that people tend to increase consumption over time all the way to uh, just before retirement or actually in their 50s. And one of the reasons why we think is that is that basically that's just before kids move out. And then once kids move out, you actually see the consumption going down. There are other explanations to that, but that's a possibility. They just uh, value consumption differently over time. Uh, and that's related to family composition. So let us maybe have a little summary. And I think it all boils down to the idea that we should be thinking about how to move resources over time and saving and borrowing allow us to do that. And the way we should do it is by taking into account how much we want to consume today and how much we want to consume tomorrow. And then depends on the preferences. So how much we value today uh, compared to tomorrow. That depends on personal circumstances. So 
let us take an example of cars. I know that when I'm 50 year old, I really can afford a fancy car, but I don't want to wait for 20 years to get that fancy car. I actually want it right now. And I know I can afford it 20 years down the road. So what I could do, well, I can borrow and buy that fancy car already now because that's what I value today. But here is where the issue comes in. And here is what I want to ask you about is how not to over borrow. So how should we think about actually living by our means? So is there some general principle about how should we think about moving resources over time? So not to so borrow to infinity. Yeah. So once you understand that borrowing and saving is about moving resources, then the next big question is how many resources do I have? So think about having a pot of money and then you decide how to distribute this pot of money during your life uh, into different uh, levels of consumption during your life. They will depend on your needs, on your preferences and so on and so forth. This pot of money is both the amount of wealth that you have, for example, you inherited, and the amount of income you're going to earn throughout your working life. This is the big pot. And obviously, any moment in time, you can't borrow above this overall pot, because at the end of the day, you will have to sustain that borrowing later on, okay, by reducing the consumption that you have in the future. So that's kind of, I think, the way to answer the question, uh, how much should I save? How much should I borrow? It really, it's about redistributing this overall pot of money that is lifetime income and wealth throughout your life. I think one important assumption that we are making here when we're thinking about, you know, redistributing this pot is that we actually know the pot. And although this is true, that I think all of us have more or less idea of how our income, you know, will evolve over time and the inheritance we can count on, you know, we cannot predict it with certainty. I, I think there are two levels here. First of all, we don't know how large is the pot. And the second one is, when will the pot realize? In fact, the reason why we borrow and save is that this pot of money will actually realize over time in an uneven way. That's why you want to borrow and save. But there is uncertainty on when it will realize. Um, so it could be that I'm going to have a fantastic career going forward. Right, let's think, my, think about my daughter. Maybe she really hits the right subject at university, and then she's going to have a fantastic career, a lot of income afterwards. So it makes a lot of sense for her, if anything, to ask me and her mom to help her out during the summer that she wanted to travel um, in the expectation of this money, or even to help her out while she was going to be in Canada. So she really can have these two great years. But it could be instead that her future income is not going to be as, as high. So there are like within boundaries, I think what we talked about still holds, but there is uncertainty. Uh, and in fact, what you should, another reason to just save um, is to make sure you have enough resources if things get bad. Um, you might face an unemployment period, you might have a series of years without bonus, and so on and so forth. So this is also, as adversities happen, a reason why you would like to borrow. For example, you could tap in your home equity in order to... Which uh, is a form of savings, right? You exactly. save in your home equity. Exactly. So you might want to tap in your home equity if you're facing a period of unemployment, in order to smooth consumption out, in order not to suffer too much 
uh, low consumption during that period. And I think um, we have seen some of that actually happening now during the COVID crisis. In Sweden, this is not possible. But for example, in the US, a lot of people borrowed against their pension income. So all the money they put away for pension in order to, uh, to, to kind of uh, smooth out the low income they were receiving during because of the pandemic. So in the end, it all boils down to maintaining a certain standard of living that you desire, that you like, and that is within your means in a sense of overall pot that you can count on in expectation over your career and at retirement. Yeah, so so let me elaborate on that. The, the prime example is to save for retirement. You know, if you haven't saved or someone else, such as, such as the pension system of your country, um, hasn't saved for your retirement, obviously you're going to face a very long period without income. Hence, without consumption. So obviously, um, you would like to smooth consumption out. So you don't want to consume everything while you're working and nothing afterwards. You want to have consumption as even as possible. But this depends on your preferences and depends on your needs. How much you want to consume over time obviously depends on, say, the type of standard of living or the type of needs that your family has at different moments in life. So typically what we observe is that during retirement, people tend to consume a little bit less. And that's, it's arguable why, for example, some people argue they have more time to produce their own consumption. So we actually don't see it in the data. So at the end of the day, they consume the same, but it's just uh, buy less. But overall, I think people tend to like to have sufficiently high standards of living throughout rather than going through bumps over times and drought over times. There is one important thing that you mentioned is uh, the country that pays you pension. You save in order to smooth consumption over time, so save for your retirement and smooth consumption across states, so save for the rainy day. But in Sweden, for example, the system already does it for you to an extent. In which sense, well, if you're an employee, your employer most likely pays pension contribution on your behalf. So there is part of your income that automatically goes into saving for retirement. And the same with saving for the rainy days. So your employer most likely pays social contribution on your behalf. So part of income already goes into social welfare system that in case of unemployment redistributes and allows you to maintain a certain standard of living when you don't have any income. So you know, when we think about how much we save and how much we borrow, I think it is important to take into account what is embedded in the system already and what system does for you. And in that case, for example, Sweden is very different from the US when you have much more responsibility for taking this decision and actually provide by yourself for your pension and provide by yourself for the periods of unemployment. Yeah, so the institutional setup mm. is extremely important. And that goes actually very practically into what the financial advisors tend to recommend, which is to build up a safety buffer uh, that you can rely on if things really go bad. And obviously in Sweden, for example, our unemployment benefit kick in after a couple of months. So you really have to have put away a couple of months of saving in order to face that. It also brings us to another topic, which is the amount of precautionary saving you want to do 
um, depends on uh, how much you are insured. So if you are able to buy insurance, uh, and if you do buy insurance for uh, all sorts of things that can happen in your life, we're talking about uh, anything from accident insurance to life insurance, then of course you need to uh, save much less for precautionary reasons. Yes, exactly. Because when you think about precautionary savings, so saving for the rainy day, uh, it's not only unemployment, but it's actually sickness, disability, and you know all the states when your income is much lower, but you still have to have a roof and meals and probably provide for your kids. And also if something happens to your property, obviously. Mm. Uh, so accident insurance. So really, either you save or someone else should save for you or you should buy insurance. And if you think about buying insurance, it's a form of saving in the sense that you pay the premium over time and then if the accident happens, um, you, you're going to be covered. It's a very sophisticated form of saving because if you set up a safety buffer, it's going to be there all the time whether you're going to end up in trouble or not. But insurance is a very smart form of saving in the sense it's going to pay off only if things turn out badly. So in other words, you don't run the risk of building a safety buffer that you end up not using. Okay, And that's why if it is fairly priced, it's actually typically a very good deal compared to actually put away a lot of money in case the car breaks or the house burns down or God knows what. But let us switch gears a little bit and maybe we can talk about how we should think about returns and interest rates when it comes to savings. Because, you know, when we save, we get some return. When we borrow, we have to pay for using that money. So how should we think about the role of, of interest rates on, you know, the decision to save and borrow, when to do it, how to do it, how much to do it? Right now, we have very low interest rate, and in fact, negative in some countries. Um, in the past, uh, interest rates were at normal levels around 3 even 5%. I mean, there were periods where we went up to 8 9 10%. For a long time, we have been living in a, in, a, in a different area from what we used to. So first of all, what we talked about so far explains why people are saving, even though interest rates are negative. So if you need to transfer resources over time, you need to save for retirement. Now, it doesn't matter if your interest rates are negative, you still need to move income from now to retirement because you will need to consume during retirement. And similarly, if you want to buy a house, it's not that you can wait until you save for the house and you are 65 years old, but you actually want to anticipate that house in consumption for today. Yeah, in that case, uh, I think the opposite argument holds, which is like you might be willing to do that even though interest rates are 15%. Right now, it's really favorable uh, or attractive to borrow because interest rates are so low. Um, the second thing is that you might want to save uh, even though interest rates are, are negative for the future because you expect either your future income to be lower than you thought and so you, you have to move money from today to tomorrow in order to keep the same standards of living or at least a decent standard of living going forward and second because you might expect a lot of uncertainty going forward so in that sense you, there is a lot of precautionary saving which might be generated by the current pandemic for example. So what we talked so far kind of tells us about saving and borrowing independently of what the level of interest rates are. But you see where I'm going. Obviously, interest rates have an impact. And I think we can distinguish between 
two different effects. On the one side, there is what we call the substitution effect, which is the most intuitive. If interest rates go up, say we go back to 3-5%, then saving becomes more attractive. You get more money uh, in interest by saving, so you tend to save more. But for the same reason, there is another effect that might kick in, which goes exactly in the opposite direction, and we call it the income effect. And it's more likely to kick in, especially if you have saved a lot already. If interest rates go up, you're going to receive a lot of income in the future out of your saving. So which means that you might be able to rise your future consumption anyway, even though you don't save more, but actually you even save less. So it's like your whole pot increases by a lot and you just have a lot to redistribute. Exactly. And then you might decide to save less and consume more today. And in fact, whether the income or substitution effect will prevail and the extent to which uh, they will have uh, an impact on your saving as interest rate move depends on something, on a concept that is a little bit abstract, but we talk about it a lot in economics and especially in macroeconomics. It's the concept of the elasticity of intertemporal substitution or the EIS. That's really the parameter in our preferences that regulates how we react to interest rate. And why this is very important for macroeconomists uh, and for central bankers, in fact, is that when central bank in a country changes interest rate, the impact on consumption and saving will depend on the average EIS or elasticity of intertemporal substitution of the economy. So maybe let me try to make this abstract concept a little bit less abstract. So at the rule of thumb, I think the way to think about it is, uh, you know, the return and the interest rate is a premium for willing to forego some of the consumption today. And so what this elasticity represents is to which extent you are willing to give up on your standard of living today in order to earn more on how much you've given up, that is how much you saved. So let me try to summarize. Um, Borrowing and savings are two sides of the same coin or a triangle in the sense that it's all about consumption and when to consume. Why um, do we save and borrow? These are simply tools to redistribute the total resources that we have in our lifetime, total income, and wealth. And by borrowing, we anticipate consumption from future resources. And by saving, we move consumption uh, to the future. So, for example, in order to consume the retirement, I'm going to save for retirement. Uh, in order to increase my standards of living now, given that I will earn more later in my career, I might want to borrow. Now, that's not the only reason why you want to save and borrow. Uh, You might want to do that to smooth consumption in the face of adversities. So you want to save and build up a buffer in anticipation of uh, uh, some of these adversities to happen, even though a very smart way to do that is actually to buy insurance. Because you pay now and you're going to be receiving the money only if those adversities happen rather than uh, no matter what. 
Additionally, if you have saved up wealth uh, in the form of home equity, for example, or in the form of pension wealth, you might want to borrow against it after bad things happen in order not to have to live uh, a period with very low standards of living. And then finally, what we talked about is the impact on interest rates. And then we talked about that they can be a little bit tricky in the sense that higher interest rates do not necessarily um, translate into higher saving and lower borrowing. Uh, there could be also an income effect. So higher interest rate might actually induce you to consume more now and reduce saving if this has a strong effect on your total pot of money that you need to redistribute over time. I think it's a good summary and maybe let me just conclude by saying that today we mostly talked about how much to save and when to save, but one important topic is to address is how to save, because in fact you can be saving in many different ways. So the two ways we talked about today was bank account, so interest rate and home equity, but you can also save in, in stocks, you can save in mutual funds. You can buy bonds and, you know, the list is, is, is pretty long here. And this is an important topic that we're going to talk in the future. So thank you very much for being with us today and for listening. Thanks. For our listeners who'd like to hear more from us, you can find more podcasts and seminar videos on houseoffinance.se. Don't forget to rate our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. Do you have a question for Anastasia or Paolo? Or would you like to suggest future topics or guests to invite to our show? We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at houseoffinance.se.